This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to another episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast, live right now at the SSAA SHOT Show. Uh, as always, I've got my uh, co-host, Muzz, is with me. How are you, mate? Yeah, g'day, Jason. What a fantastic day and what a huge turnout. Um, uh, there's cars as long as, as long as you can see. There's, uh, the car park's absolutely chockers and there's heaps of people here and what a fantastic day for it, Jason. Yeah, it is. Lots of people. We're just looking up towards the uh, gates right now and we actually see quite a lot of people coming in. We can see uh, the Shooters and Fishers Party. Uh, what, do you, what do you call it? The assault vehicle up there? Yeah, the assault vehicle. You've got the uh, cruiser <laughs> up there with the boat. With the boat. The SFP logo on the boat. Uh, some awesome fancy vehicles here too, Jason. There's a, a really, uh, really nice Ford Ranger here by Warlord that sell the military law enforcement. Warlord Industries. Warlord Industries, that's right. .com.au, free plug for yep. Warlord Industries. There you go. Looks like it's got some sort of wrap on it, doesn't it? Or some sort of, I don't know what you call that. Well, what it's, is it? it's been beautifully sprayed in a matte colour and just looks absolutely mean as and uh, what a fantastic looking car. It's, a, it's really good, excellent. People are just uh, admiring the vehicle. The Shooters and Fishers vehicle, of course, people are admiring that too and uh, really uh, what a great day for it. it couldn't couldn't be better jace absolutely so what we're sort of going to do is basically be uh running around uh, throughout the day just interviewing people what we're going to probably do in the next few minutes we're just going to head up sort of towards that front gate and we're just going to ask a few questions just from uh you know law-abiding firearms owners that are coming here to the shot show at 2014 at rose hill race course about i guess what brought them to the shot show some things some things i'd like to see change maybe with their political parties maybe with hunting shooting and fishing in general also what sort of things they're looking at for the at the show, they come coming to buy some products. Uh, you know, to look at a new purchase, new rifle. You know, what sort of hunting they do. Well, you know, what, do they are they adventurous shooters? You know, there's all all types here, Jace. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's go and see if we can try and have a chat to a few people and see what they say. What brought them to the shot show? So this is the 2014 double S shot show at Rose Hill Racecourse. This is Rod Drew, CEO of Field and Game Australia. This is Rob Fickling from Beyond the Divide and Maroka 30. Hi, this is Col Allison, hunter, journalist for 42 years and a shooter. Hi, this is Russell Mark, Olympic gold medalist. This is Charlie Jacoby from Field Sports Britain. Hey everybody, it's Tom Knapp and you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. All right, I've got Jaden and Antoinette. How are you doing, Jaden? Yeah, not too bad. Very good. What brought you to the uh, show today? Well, we just started uh, getting our H licence, just applied for it, so we thought we'd come down and have a look and um, see, what's, uh, see what's around. Yeah, do you hunt, fish, or all of the above, or shoot, everything? Uh, just started, so we're looking at doing target first, and we'll take it from there. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, Antoinette, uh, what, you just uh, told us that you're applying for your firearms licence. Okay, well, so what prompted you to do that? I was encouraged by the partner here. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I'll go and try it. Uh, trial day and um, I actually quite enjoyed it so I thought okay I might might pursue this a little bit more and so I applied for my license and uh, we'll see how that goes. Do you enjoy the same things as the partner here or you like like your own certain things or you don't know yet or? I'm just getting a taste for it so I'm just uh, trialling a few things out and we'll see how I go. Yeah, there's an old saying they they say that um, no one no one hates guns they just haven't tried it yet. Do you think that's true? 
I think that's very true for me. I didn't know I'd enjoy it until um, we had the, the try shooting day. And um, yeah, so now I'm, I'm converted, I think. <laughs> how important is it, you think, is this your son here? Yes, yeah, is Liam. How, do you, how important do you think it is to get, like, you, when he gets a bit older, you reckon you'll be getting him into it? Uh, yeah, he'll, he'll probably follow me into almost everything I do. So um, it'll definitely be, if we continue on with it, it'll be something that he'll want to get into. And yeah, we're quite surprised that um, he can start at 12. So um, yeah, we'll be keen to sort of gear him up for that, I think. Smart move. Tell us, you don't have to tell us who you vote for, but do you vote for a pro-gun party? I'm actually a Kiwi. I can't vote here yet. But, uh, <laughs> but if I could, I would. Oh, let's terminate the conversation. Just kidding. Uh, how, how important do you think it is, especially uh, with a lot of negative press in the media, how important do you think it is to teach our youngsters about gun safety and, and so, so they're not brought up with a culture of fear rather than a culture of understanding? Oh, yeah. Like anything, I think it's very important. Um, kind of Most people are sort of scared of what they don't know, so the more they know about it, the more educated they are, I think they can make better and informed choices. So young ones being around it, knowing sort of learning about the safety and learning about them I reckon it'll just help them later on and allow them to be more educated and make better educated decisions around it so yeah brilliant guys thanks very much for your time really good interview all right, I'm here with Luke. We've uh, bailed up Luke out the front. How you doing, mate? Not too bad. Yourself, mate? Pretty good. Just wondering uh, what brought you to the SHOT Show today? Uh, mate, I come down here today. I'm looking at buying a new Marlin 4570 guide gun. So I'm just coming down to price them down here, compare them online. Absolutely. Do you hunt, shoot, fish, all of the above? Uh, hunt and shoot, don't fish, don't have the patience. <laughs> What's, uh, what sort of uh, animals do you like to hunt? Uh, pretty keen on pigs and then obviously roos when I can. Don't mind the odd fox. If they get in my way, I'll knock them over. Yeah, mate. Uh, also, just wanted to find out, how, how important do you think it is to, for us to pass on our sport to the younger generation? Look, I think especially with uh, firearms in this day and age, I know there's a lot of rules, etc., that align with the firearms in Australia. I think it's pretty good that you get young kids involved in all that sort of stuff. So not necessarily if they want to shoot, but if they were to come across a live firearm or something, they know how to handle it and they can do it safely. Absolutely. What about, do you, you don't have to tell us if you don't want to, do you vote for your pro-gun parties? I'm pretty staunch liberal man, being in defence. That's about all I'll give you when it comes to politics. <laughs> yeah, no. Could you think any of the parties could do anything better? Yeah, look, I think they make, these, this day and age they make it fa- uh, the government makes it fairly hard with gun laws. I think some of it could be eased up, and I'd really like to see the, the parties and to get my vote if they could try and ease some of the laws. They don't necessarily have to loosen the whole thing, but at the end of the day, if uh, you're a criminal, so to speak, and you want to get a firearm, you'll get it fairly easy, where uh, blokes like you or I, if we just want to go to the range and have a shot, it takes a long process just to get a firearm. Just give us, say, two or three things that you think would be important that you'd like to see change. I know you said some of the smaller stuff, some little changes. Give me sort of just one or two maybe. Uh, maybe not so many hoops to jump through when you're going for like your firearms licence and especially your pistols. pistol licence. takes a long time to do your pistol licence and I know a lot of people crack the shits like uh, going through that and just pull the pin because it's expensive. Uh, a lot of people are like shooting, not necessarily from the city, they might be out in the bush and all that sort of stuff So, and we know it's pretty hard out of the bush at the moment so they don't have all the money in the world to spend and when it comes to getting their licence it's a very, very expensive task just to do that. Yeah, Luke, mate, well said. Uh, and uh, look, I just wanted to uh, find out from, from your point of view, how do you feel about the fact that in countries like Canada and New Zealand, they've got things like suppressors available, semi-automatic firearms, a little bit more relaxed gun laws, and they're supposed to be a free country just like we are, but we don't have those things available. How do you feel about that? Look, to be honest with you, I think for the right reason that we should be able to have those laws like they do in America and Canada and all that sort of stuff. Like anything else, there's hoops you jump through to get certain uh, qualifications or different classes so why can't we have the same hoops to jump through with regards to all that sort of stuff yeah well said mate thanks very much for your time luke too easy have a good day
All right, I'm just here with Dana Mellon from the Sporting Shooters Association. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Fantastic. I'll tell you what, having this place now at, at Rose Hill Racecourse, fantastic. Ample parking. Um, I guess what was the reason to move it over to uh, the new venue? We wanted to try a bit of a different concept. Um, we had feedback in the past in being in a big hall, people just walk in, walk out. So we wanted to try and um, keep people here. So we thought the outdoor area and the idea of a precinct with um, some entertainment, we've got the working gun dogs, we've got face painting, um, jumping castle, just things to try and keep people here. And I, I think it's really worked. Absolutely. What's the feedback been like? Pretty good? Oh, it's been really positive. People are really happy with the venue. Um, numbers aren't final yet, but we think we've done some, some pretty good numbers. Um, um, Sunday's just as busy as, as what yesterday was, which, which is great. A um, little bit overcast, but we had lots of people sitting outside in, in the outdoor areas enjoying coffee, um, ice cream, watching the entertainment. It's really good. That's right. We had a couple of hot dogs, didn't we? But, Mars, you got any questions for now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Diane, look, it's a really great venue, and I, I struggled to find parking, to be honest, because it was just so popular. What are your thoughts about stretching this event for a three-day event? Because it just doesn't seem like enough time to get through the whole show. Well, I guess three days nothing's off the table we'll consider everything it all comes down to whether the exhibitors would be happy to come along and you know that extra day out of the office or out of the shop sort of thing that ex- the costs involved with that extra day um, and also if we can get the people here on, on a Friday or a Monday or whatever but yeah we'll look at we'll look at anything so I guess feedback people give us feedback and if that's what you want us want to see then that's what we'll deliver yeah no I mean you guys have got a really good uh, exhibit here for the SSAA and uh, you guys are kicking a lot of goals and I've been speaking a lot with James Walsh from the Sydney branch and, and uh, with plans uh, regarding the new shooting range that you guys are going to build in um, uh, southwest Sydney and I think that's fantastic I think it's, uh, it, it's way overdue and uh, good on you for that one sec, possibly southwest Sydney, but anyway, sorry. Yeah, well, yeah, Sydney branch, I know they're doing a lot of work. They've done a lot of research on, on trying to find a range um, in the Sydney basin. Uh, from a New South Wales state perspective, we've got a really strong focus on ranges. We've got our range development fund. We've just recently bought a large property in Dubbo, which ha- will full, have a fully enclosed template and seven different ranges, and you can shoot just about every discipline and every firearm up there, except for 50 cal, because you can only shoot that at Tiltawira. So, yeah, New South Wales, we're focusing on, on ranges all over the state and the idea is securing ranges so looking at new ranges um, where we fully own the template so we're not reliant on anybody else and also future proofing the ranges that we've already got we've done a bit of work um, with Wagga Branch they had a few issues but they're going to eventually by the end of the year they'll be the first um, fully enclosed 500 metre I think it's um, limited danger template range at 500 metres which we believe is the first one in Australia so that's the sort of things that we're working on Diane can you tell us uh, any plans that the SSAA may have in regards to expansion and upgrades or improvements to the Anzac range well Anzac at the moment um, I know that Sydney Branch is doing a bit of work on um, Sydney Branch is doing a bit of work on on um, looking at Anzac and possible I guess opening it up possibly to SSAA members but that's something that you probably need to talk to, to James Walsh from Sydney Branch a bit more about. All right, I've, I've interviewed yourself, Dean Mile. Any plans over the next, say, 12 months for the future direction of the SSAA? Well, I guess we've got... We're actually... Um, we've done a lot of research. We've done surveys. We've done focus groups for our members. That's on, on a New South Wales level I'm talking about to try and work out where our members want us to go and what they want us to do. Four main areas. We've got ranges, which are really important. We need ranges for our sport. Hunting, 
hunting opportunities and, and supporting of hunting, which we're, we're doing and we're working on, um, and then growing our membership and also getting the message out there, being being the spokesperson for, for the shooting sports, and, and we're working on that as we have been doing for a few years now. All right, last one from Muzz. You spoke about uh, doing that, doing your focus groups and getting a lot of feedback from the members, and you spoke about the four main areas. I find it hard to believe that one of those four main areas wasn't uh, lobbying the being much stronger voice in government and lobbying the government to relax some laws and, and to get the get the government off the backs of law-abiding shooters. What do you have to say about that? Well, that fourth area that I talked about, being being the strong pokes spokesperson for the industry actually encapsulates all of that and we're working on some really good um, relationships we have a very good relationship with the firearms registry and we've got good relationships with other government agencies we're continuing to build those relationships and we we make it very well known that we're we're always out there working we work with the government for um, sensible sensible gun laws. Diana Mellon thanks for your time appreciate it. No worries no worries at all. All right, we're talking to Keith here at the uh, Beretta stand. Um, how you doing, mate? Very well, thank you. Tell us uh, some of the brands uh, Beretta bring in. Okay, Beretta Holding as a company own uh, Beretta, of course, are uh, their primary product. And we have Benelli is part of the Beretta company. We have Frankie, Uberti. Uh, and as Beretta Australia, we also import several different firearms, Seiko, Tika, Beretta, Benelli, Frankie, Zestava. We have quite a product range, yeah. What sort of new products are coming up for, say, 2014, 2015? Look, the Seiko rifles seem to be developing more so uh, for the Australian market. They seem to be putting out a lot more firearms that are associated with Australian hunting. So I think the big movement is probably in our, uh, in our Finnish rifles from Seiko and Tika. Uh, a lot of optics with the Burris optics, they seem to be you know, going ahead in leaps and bounds with the technology and range finding and what have you. So I think in 2014 we can keep our focus on the, uh, the Tika, Seiko and also uh, the Burris optics. They're the real big movers, yeah. How's uh, business for Beretta? Is it pretty good? Is it building every year? Is a lot more shooters getting on board? How do you think? Yeah, look, I think it's, uh, it seems to be a lot more socially acceptable now in Australia, the, the uh, firearm industry as a whole, whether it be for sporting application or hunting. Uh, so I think, yeah, it's, it's getting more accepted and business is booming. It's fantastic. Keith, I'm looking at this excellent Benelli pump-action shotgun here and behind me also the Frankie uh, semi-auto shotgun. Speaking of the business, what are your thoughts about the fact that the average punter really can't get them, get their hands on guns like this? Look, I think uh, we, we've definitely got all of our disciplines covered with our other firearms, whether it be double-barrel, under-and-over or side-by-side shotguns. They can certainly cater for that. With restricted licences, you can definitely purchase these pump-action firearms and semi-automatic shotguns. But, uh, yeah, we are, we are restricted there. However, I don't think it's affected the industry so much. OK. Uh, well, also, with, with the semi-auto shotguns and pump-action shotguns, do you believe the average shooter uh, should have access to these firearms just like they do in New Zealand, Canada and vast majority of European countries? I've been shooting since I was uh, a junior uh, and I certainly used semi-automatic firearms back in those days before they were, uh, the legislation cancelled them out. I really can't see any harm in having semi-automatic firearms. I think uh, it was something that the government found necessary to do to make them restricted. But uh, no, I can't see any problem in having them back. I think it would be uh, quite beneficial. Yeah. Excellent, Keith. Thanks very much for your time, mate. Great. Been a pleasure. Thanks. All right, I'm just with Henry. How are you, mate? Very well, guys. Thanks for, thanks for having me. 
appreciate it. What brought you to the SHOT Show today? Well, uh, it's that sort of annual event that I think everyone in New South Wales should go to support the SSAA and get behind, um, you know, the, the, the small fraternity that we call, you know, sports shooters and, and hunters, I suppose. How, how important do you think it is to join a club, say, for an example? Well, I'm here to support um, my club, which is Australian Hunters International and, uh, and the SSAA. And I think it's, um, you know, important to get some awareness out there and, and get people, you know, talking and like-minded people in, the, in, in a sort of the same vicinity and, you know, chatting about the, the passions and that we have, you know, whether or not it's protecting our firearms to sports shooting to, you know, getting access to national parks and, and, uh, and state forests and what have you. So I think it's, yeah, important. Mate, do you hunt, shoot, fish or all of the above? Mate, all of the above. So I... Um, I, uh, unfortunately or fortunately, I work in the boating industry, so I spend a lot of time on the water fishing. So I think, you know, the Fishers and Shooters Party are doing good thing there. And then secondly, um, you know, like I was only hunting this morning and I spend a couple of days hunting every week, so... Uh, Henry, speaking of fishing, what do you think about the fact that we actually have to have a licence in this country to fish? Well, I think initially, like, you know, using Sydney Harbour as an example, they had, for instance, um, they brought out licences which were somewhat seen more so as a permit, what I saw, and and people were paying, you know, $30-odd a year to pay off the commercial fishing licences. That's now gone, and, you know, I think... It's, uh, it's a shame that we have to pay to be able to use um, what uh, should be ours as Australians to be able to you know, go out and take your children or grandfather can take his grandson down to the local wharf and throw a line in and might get lucky. And for the fact of the matter is you've got to pay for, to do that now. Um, it's a shame, I think. Mate, what about, what about say, our pro-gun parties? You don't have to tell us who you vote for unless you choose to, but do you um, uh, support your pro-gun parties? Do you vote for them? Look, very much so. I think, um, you know, the, the Fishers and Shooters Party and Rob Borzak and, and all the guys there are doing a great job supporting, um, you know, our rights and, and our, uh, basically our rights, you know, to be able to go out and do what we love and enjoy and, and hold firearms legally and responsibly and, and do the right thing. Just, uh, just getting back to the fishing thing, um, regarding the licence, um, do you think it's something that should be abolished? Do you think that the water and the fish that are in it belong to the people? Well, I think very much so. Uh, look, it may serve, you know, the fees for the fishing permits and licences. It may serve something, you know, to bring back some sort of um, all conservation. But having said that, um, just people out there and spending money in the industry and, and you know, being on the water um, just brings awareness and, and I don't think they should have to pay for that. What about, say, your pro-gun parties and that? Are you happy with the performance, say, over the last, you know, 12 months to five years? If you are, what sort of things yeah, would you like to see change for the better or see them push? Or if you're not happy, what are you not happy with? Well, I think it was an awful shame um, look, with, with when they took us you know, hunting away from, from the state forest. And, look, you know, the Fishers and Shooters Party did a great job in, in trying to get that back and stated, and that has come about now. And, and I think, you know, whether or not the brief sort of absence of, of hunting in state forests was noticed but I think now they're, they're only doing, they're only working for us and everyone has the same goal in mind so to speak is just to you know, protect our rights and, and I think they're doing a great job Final question self-defence as a legitimate reason to own a firearm, yes or no? Look I think it's a very fine line I'm talking in the home Well I would think maybe not, I mean I don't know, I think it's a Look, I was broken into recently, and, you know, the thought does cross your mind. You think, you know, 
what 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 what's this person doing in my house what are they here to do are they here to harm me you know and first and foremost you think of your family and and, and their safety but on the other hand um, you know you'd hate to think what would happen if you know someone were to grab something off you and hurt one of your your family members or something you know you'd never live with yourself so i think maybe some in some certain scenarios it's leave best up to the police and but you know i think every scenario has its you know has its different scenarios call for different measures but a hard one for me to perfect mate thanks for your time appreciate it my pleasure all right i'm just here with Robert Brown from the Shooters and Fishers Party. How are you doing, Robert? I'm going, doing good, Jase. How are you doing, mate? Fantastic. Um, tell us, we've got, we've got the election coming up next year in uh, March of 2015. What can we expect up until the election? Well, <clears throat> because uh, governments and oppositions get themselves into election raid about a year out, the answer to that one is not a lot. Um, however, with the change uh, over from that... Uh, the uh, corrupt ex-Premier Barry O'Farrell, to the new bloke. Um, we're hopeful that uh, a lot of the things we had on the go will happen. We're pretty sure that we will be hunting in uh, category, what they call Category C national parks. Uh, that's, that's the ones where the R-licensed hunters hunt the same as they do in state forests. Uh, we're pretty sure that uh, the uh, regulations, the firearms regulations, will just be rolled over. Uh, save all the hassle there. And uh, and there's a, there's a number of other little wins we've had uh, with the, on the fishing side. we managed to get them finally to keep their promise to put uh, two offshore reefs uh, south of Botany Bay uh, because because the recreational fishers all paid for that recreational fishing haven in Botany Bay. Next thing you know, the minute they do that, they've got a new port going in, they've got a desail plant going in, and they've lost, lost half the area. Uh, so there's two new um, reefs been announced. Uh, there's a couple of new boat ramps going in and, and, and some fishing platforms, which is important. So, look, uh, there's probably a list of a dozen things that we'll get. Interesting stuff have happened over the last, say, 12 months. Obviously, Barry O'Farrell gone. We've also got uh, Steve Dunn now being found corrupt as well. Environment Minister Robin Parker gone as well. Michael Gallagher gone too. Could you really write it any better? Well, apart from Gallagher, Gallagher was one of our supporters, but Parker certainly wasn't. O'Farrell, I mean, that's on the record, he wasn't. Uh, And all I'd have to say about O'Farrell is uh, we told you so. We were right. Uh, Dunn, we haven't finished with him yet. Uh, We're... um, doing a little bit of an investigation on Mr Dunn and, uh, and his relationship with certain uh, people in government. Uh, so so ICAC won't, won't have finished with Mr Dunn yet. Um, but look, the important thing for us is, can uh, we trust Baird? Can we trust the new ministers? We don't know yet, but the signs are good. So we're hoping uh, that we can uh, sort of get, get some rubber onto the ground uh, finally with, with, with him gone. What are some of the things, say, we'll target up until the election? And what about after the election? What are the, say, top you know, two or three things you guys are really looking at pushing forward? OK, well, interestingly enough, a lot of things we're going to get done between now and the election aren't related to hunting or shooting. Um, they're related to, uh, like, the Native Vegetation Act. I've got a bill before the House. Now we're daring the uh, Liberals and the Nationals to, uh, to try and oppose us on it. I don't think they can. Robert's got a bill before the House to change the... Um, the Sydney Act, the Electoral Act, that uh, allows people like Claver Moore to, um, uh, to uh, hang on to power. Now, they've got nothing to do with shooting and fishing, but they're good, uh, good issues that the people of New South Wales want to hear. And, and because the majors won't prosecute those issues for their own political reasons, we will. Yeah, that, that's, that's really good to hear, Robert. And uh, I have uh, heard the interview with uh, Robert on Alan Jones, and I think he presented himself quite well. And uh, full credit to him. But just getting back on the Fisher issues, uh, regarding the licensing fees, and you were talking about the reef, um, do you think Fishers are really getting some uh, real value for money regarding their licensing fees? I mean, i.e. calling it 
basically the fishing tax, really more or less. Uh, are they getting real value for money for that? And, and should, should uh, we really trust the government to spend that money wisely? Mario, look, a very simple answer is we support the fishing licence. Uh, we support the idea that uh, the fishermen make up their mind as to how they want that money spent. Now, in the past, uh, we don't believe that the government has uh, spent that, that money um, uh, all the time in the interest of fishers, but generally speaking, it's the fishermen who get to make that decision. One of the things we ran by the government, which they knocked off when they knocked off the Game Council, was we wanted an identical body set up, that is a statutory authority, for the fishermen so that the Minister couldn't interfere in how the money was being spent. Now, we, we won't get to prosecute that before, uh, before the election, but I can assure you, and I assure every fisherman in New South Wales, it's on the table for straight after the election. Oh, well, that's, that's good to hear. Um, also, you guys have been heavily involved with the guys uh, in paintball. Uh, and, yes. uh, and Yeah, so would you please elaborate on that? Tell us more about that. Well, one of the things that uh, seems incongruous to us is that paintball operations and paintball guns, for want of a better word, paintball toys, have to be licensed the same as firearms. We think we'll probably get some movement on that in the the recast of the regulations, which which means that paintball should be allowed to to happen as it should, that is, as a recreation, nothing to do with firearms. I mean, you can't kill anything with a paintball. So um, we, we, we might see some movement there. And look, paintball is just symptomatic of over-regulation. Everywhere you turn, it's a nanny state, you can do this, you can't do that, you can only do this on these days, you know, when it's, you know, Blue Cheese Tuesday or something like that. So hopefully, hopefully uh, we'll be able to negotiate some, uh, some changes to the, to the to Firearms Act and regulations to get, get paintball out of it. That, that'd be the best thing we could do for paintballers. Yeah, I um, absolutely agree with you, Robert. Um, you, you would think if I'm licensed enough uh, to own a 300 Winnie Mag, you know, with a 10-round magazine, I should be licensed enough to, to buy paintball gum. I mean, really common sense, isn't it? Why can't the minister see this? Well, the minister probably can see it and hopefully will see it and hopefully will do something about it. Uh, but the, the problem is governments go, governments come, governments go. Uh, a, a lot of your listeners have probably seen that TV series Yes, Minister, and probably think it's a comedy. It's no comedy. That's exactly how it happens. The bureaucrats run the place and it takes a very brave minister to take them on. Mind you, when they've got a pair of bastards like Borsak and I pushing them from behind, they haven't got much choice, have they? So that, that's the way it goes. Recently, Robert, we had uh, the Liberal um, David Elliott, uh, and he proposed a return to fireworks for everyone. Now, that, that brought a lot of media attention, and it was in the papers, and they talked about it for the radio and so on. Don't you think it's reasonable uh, enough idea that if I'm licensed enough to have firearms, to, to be able to have the safe storage and all that, shouldn't I be allowed to buy fireworks so I can, so I can enjoy cracking night with my children? Well, wasn't I just talking about nanny statism, about the you know, government regulation? Uh, Mr Elliott, uh, we, we support him 100% because he, he, he stole one of our policies, you see. We think cracking night should be back, and not just for licensed firearm owners. You know, I can recall um, you know, when I was a kid, and uh, it's a fantastic uh, opportunity for citizens to express themselves. We are, after all, um, free citizens, or we're supposed to be. So, again, another example of where governments can, they will regulate the nanny state. But I'd support it coming back for everybody, because the Shooters and Fishers Party is here for everybody. Uh, Yes, uh, a firearms owner... Uh, is already regarded by the government because of that green licence you carry yep. in your pocket uh, as a fit and proper person. That's what it says on your licence, you're a fit and proper person. Yep. Um, but look, 
you know, everybody should have access to these sorts of things. They're not dangerous. It's not like guns. And these days, crackers and fireworks are a lot safer than what they were in my day. You know, I used to make bunger cannons and stuff when I was a <laughs> That's kid. That's it, me too. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Everyone just needs to have a steel letterbox from now on. But tell us, I guess, Rob, to finish off, um, up until 2015, for all the punters out there that may vote for Shooters and Fishers, tell us why should they vote for Shooters and Fishers? Well, there's a number of reasons, Jason. First of all, if you have a look at our track record of what we've delivered, don't just listen to what we say, you have a look at what we've done. And nobody can argue that we haven't made significant difference both in the fishing and the, and the shooting and the hunting uh, areas. Um, millions and millions of dollars uh, that have been pumped into the sport because of us, not because of anybody else. Um, a moratorium on marine parks because of us, not because of anybody else. If Both hunters and shooters and fishers and a lot of other people believe that after they win these little fights they can go back to sleep. You can't. You have to be eternally vigilant because governments will continue to try and screw you over no matter who you are because that's what they believe their job is. Fantastic. Robert Brown, thanks for your time today. really appreciate it. Thanks, boys, and uh, good luck in the future. All right, I've got Dennis with me here, Dennis Corrin from the New South Wales Firearms Registry. How are you doing, Dennis? I'm very good. <laughs> Thanks for your time. Tell us about some of the uh, functions that the uh, New South Wales Firearms Registry perform. Oh, well, we certainly we um, license people for, um, for firearms, register firearms, and are our core core business responsibilities. Mm. Absolutely. Um, that includes registration of firearms? Registration of firearms, yes. Uh, Dennis, I've just got uh, one of these little um, uh, armbands saying, keeping me safe. And uh, I just want to, for you, just in your own words, to explain to the people out there, how does the firearm registry keep us safe? Well, um, we uh, help coordinate the safe storage um, regime of the uh, uh, firearms. We do a lot of promotion work. Um, with uh, here today, the SSAA running the course, we'll go in afterwards and let them know what happens next and the obligations of um, licence holders and, you know, storing their firearms safely, those sorts of things. Mm-mm. How important do you think is to say, like, safe storage? Like, a, a, do you think these sort of things are, are important? Oh, very. Yeah, absolutely. They're a, a, a very... Um, major part of the legislation in terms of um, owning and uh, possessing firearms. <laughs> Do you find there's a good relationship, say, between shooters, shooting groups with the registry? Do you find it's growing and building, or what are you sort of finding in your day-to-day duties? Oh, I believe, um, you know, we are um, getting a lot better with, uh, with that side. Um, we're having regular stakeholder meetings now with um, the various clubs and associations, the dealer associations, you know, to discuss the various issues that they have, that we may have, and, and to have some sort of consultative approach to some of the problems that may exist. Um, and so, yeah, that's all, all very good. Dennis, a lot of our uh, listeners have emailed us and they were saying that they're not really happy about the fact that all their information is stored at a central database and they're not really happy about the fact that police come into their home and so-called violate their privacy and to check up on their firearms. What do you have to say about that? Well, I think um, licence holders and gun owners have to accept that that is uh, one of the major responsibilities and, and, and provisions of the Act, that um, you know, they have to store these things safety and it has to be monitored. Um, people do to be compliant. No, certainly don't want firearms getting into the wrong people's hands. Um, most licence holders are, you know, uh, are responsible shooters. And, you know, they take um, care. It's only those that, 
um, maybe shouldn't be having guns that probably would be complaining to ensure that you know they, they want to keep them safe. How can we um, ensure to the uh, licence holders out there that the information is 100% not compromised? I know there was a conjecture last year, the year before, people saying the, the information was downloaded to a central server, that police had access to it. I have heard things where police volunteers are ringing up uh, licensed firearms owners for inspections. How can we make sure, I guess, on a positive note, that the information, you know, the punters sort of feel and the, and the licence holders feel that information is secure because it would be pretty counterproductive for the information to go elsewhere. We don't want that. You guys don't want that. It serves everyone's purpose, really, to make sure that doesn't happen. Look, any information as to where guns are stored are only available to New South Wales Police. So um, in terms of the security of that information, when these... Um, uh, claims come out, an audit was conducted and it was shown that, that the information is secure. Um, there is no way that can get into the hands of people that shouldn't have it. Um, New South Wales Police are the only people that have access and that is part of their responsibility within the local area commands to um, you know, contact licence holders when they want to arrange a, um, a safe storage inspection. Speaking of that, um, I know there's been, I've had, a, I've had a few calls, recently, a few emails saying the uh, act, I should say, says that they must call prior to making an appointment. Would that be appropriate? Because I know, I, well, I had one where he sort of, he just came, but I was happy for him to come in straight away, so that wasn't a big deal anyway. But is it good for the police to have a good relationship with shooters when making appointments, etc., just to, you know, to, uh, I guess, work with shooters and shooters to work with police, I think? Uh, generally speaking, um, you know, p- uh, police try to contact the licence holder prior to calling. I suppose you'll get that isolated case where they're in the area, they've, they've, they've got some inspections to do, and instead of you know going back to the station, they may call in you know unannounced if you like. Um, but that's then up to the license holder to decide if if there hasn't been a pre-arranged um, you know arrangement to to go ahead, um, whether or not they they allow it to happen. <laughs> Now, Dennis, uh, re- recently, as you know, um, the Canadian government has abolished their uh, registry. New Zealand government have abolished it. They both stated that it is in, uh, ineffective in uh, solving crime and it's a, it's a huge expense to, for very little gain. Can I just get some comments from you on that? Um, I'm not sure of what the regime is in Canada. Um, I am fairly confident that they still have a licensing scheme. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, licensing, but whether or not that's a police-run uh, um, uh, service, I, I don't know. Um, but all I can say is that the you know the registry is uh, you know not too much of a cost burden on taxpayers. Uh, it's quite efficient. It's going to get better as we. Um, you know, revamp our system. So, um, yeah, I've got no problems with uh, the way it's working at the moment. Yeah, just to finish off, I've got a, actually a pretty good question, I think. Um, obviously, it's all paper-based system at the moment, sending in permits to acquire, licence applications, etc. Is there any time in the future that the government is looking at upgrading those services? Obviously, you, know, you guys have got to you know, field phone calls all day. I mean, I can imagine the course going to be quite inundated with phone calls. I've called recently. There's lot, fairly decent waiting periods. Um, is there any time in the future that they think the government will want to spend money on, say, automating the system, making it, maybe even where something like dealers would have access straight to PTAs, to the dealers, firearms registry, and 
and the shooter can basically, what I'm saying, is all work together. Cut red tape, but also make sure the services, I guess, are kept intact. Yeah, yeah no, these are, are, are all plans that are in the planning process now. As we speak, um, online services uh, uh, is a major um, change it's going to have. It's come out of the recent registry review. We've been asking it for it for quite some time. But, um, you know, uh, uh, money is always an issue. <laughs> um, Especially in government. <laughs> um, so, yes, but this is all going to be planned for, to be in, introduced probably over the next eight months. All right, last question, Muzz. Uh, Dennis, just, uh, uh, just uh, my question's in two parts. Just quickly, uh, are you yourself a law-abiding firearm, firearm owner and, and have you met, uh, gone through the process and all the compliance and uh, all the things related to firearms? Not me personally. We do have a couple of uh, staff that are licensed shooters. One question, sorry, sorry to butt in. I have heard before this might be, this is a good thing to clear up, that people that work for the um, firearms registry can't be firearm owners, incorrect? Incorrect, yes. All right, perfect. So I continue? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I'm not a, um, a shooter myself, um, but as I say, there has been, there are a number of staff that are, are shooters and uh, are licensed and are subject to the same uh, same rules as everybody else. As you can appreciate, Dennis, I'm a law-abiding firearm owner. I've got uh, several firearms and I'll go through all the process, all the um, safety requirements and so on. I'll get the police visiting my home. But my concern, my personal concern is I've got my information on a New South Wales database. Uh, then I have police visiting my home who I don't know who they are. Then I have to give my information again whenever I buy ammunition at a shop. I'm constantly giving out my personal information and my point of view I guess is that the more information I give out the less safe I am the less information that a person gives out about the whereabouts of their firearms law-abiding firearm owners I think we're safer what do you have to say about that oh look you know um, it's a requirement that people notify the registry of where they store their guns um, so it's got to be stored somewhere <laughs> um, uh, that, that's a fact of life and it's a fact that police have to go out to firearm owners and so they've got to be given who the licence holder is, where the address is, all those sorts of things. But do you think those things make us safer? Well, as I say, I I do believe that's the case. Um, If people are are aware that the police are diligent in ensuring safe storage requirements are met, less chance of firearms being stolen, less chance of them getting in the wrong hands. <laughs> Perfect. Dennis, I appreciate your time representing the New South Wales Firearms Registry today. Thank, Thank you very you, much. You've been a great sport. Thank you. <laughs> All right, we're just here with Chris. Uh, how you doing, mate? Not bad. Yourself? Fantastic, mate. Tell us. Looks like you've bought a few things here today. What a little little gun bag, eh? What'd you, did you, what'd you buy? A uh, gun bag and a tea kettle and some jerky and just had a look at prices for later on in the year. What brought you to the shot show today, mate? Uh, I've never been before and I wanted to get some prices and have a look at a few things. So, yeah, that's it. Uh, do you hunt, shoot, fish or all of the above? And what do you like to hunt, shoot or fish? All of the above. Anything feral I, I like to hunt. I'm learning about deer this year, so, yeah. Uh, Chris, just want to ask your opinion. Uh, how important do you think it is that we teach the younger generation about our freedoms and our lifestyle in hunting, shooting and fishing? I think that's something very important that a lot of people don't even think about, don't consider. The rights that we've had, that we've lost, we need to get back. It's really important. Mate, what do you think? We're talking about laws, you know, we've got different laws, licence categories, etc, etc, registration. We know other countries, Canada, New Zealand, they get rid of their firearms registries. 
they're not having the deaths. America's a bit of a different story. What would you like to see change over the next, say, couple of years? I think the registry needs to go. It's a waste of time and money, waste of paperwork. I'd like to see semis come back under the right circumstances. We need to get back what we've lost. Yeah, mate, well said. And, uh, look, I agree with you wholeheartedly, and uh, I just think it's ridiculous in this day and age. I mean, Australia's a free country. We're one of the most beautiful countries in the world and, uh, you know, comparable to countries like uh, Canada and New Zealand and so on. And, and mate, they, they've got uh, much more relaxed gun laws. They're, they're, they're more... And don't, don't you think that Australia should be a little bit more like the other Commonwealth nations with their laws? I mean, like New Zealand, they've got suppressors available in New Zealand, uh, low-capacity semi-autos, Canada as well. What, would you like to see similar things like that in Australia? Yeah, I really would. Um, I like the petition that's happening at the moment to get suppressors in. You can't wear hearing protection when you hunt. It just doesn't work. We need to get things like that in. I mean, I had someone the other day tell me we shouldn't have semi-automatics because no-one's got experience with them. Well, how do you get experience if you don't have access to them? It's stupidity. Mate, tell us. You don't have to tell us who you vote for if you don't want to. You can if you want. But do you vote for a pro-gun party? Yes, definitely. Shooters and fishers. Fantastic. What would you say, like, are you happy with their performance, say, in the last, say, you know, 12 to 18 months? Is there anything you think they can do better, or are you happy, or where do you want to see them go in the future? I just think we, they need more growth. They can't get the word out there without, without growth. It's that simple. What sort of policy changes would you be liking to see some change in New South Wales? And uh, you know we've got two representatives in New South Wales at the moment and they're hoping to get a third one. If they get a third one, what sort of policies do you, would you like to see them attack? I'd like to see the registry attacked and gone. I'd like to see the A, B categories in the, the gun licences. There's no point to having two. Um, a and B are the same thing. When you apply it's A, B, why have we got two separate categories for them? The restriction on semi-automatics is ridiculous. Anything pro-gun, I think we need to be... The Greens have got ahead of us. They're proactive, we're not, and we need to get proactive. Yeah, well said, Chris. Mate, look, thanks very much for your time. What a great interview. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we're just here with Carl Houseman from the Shooters and Fishers Party, Federal Senate candidate. How are you, Carl? I'm great, mate. How are you? Fantastic. Mate, tell us, uh, I see you've got your, your, little, your son here today. Yes, mate. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> it looks like you, so I'm, I'm hoping it is. <laughs> yeah, it is. No, I didn't grab him as a random. No, mate, bring the kids down. It's a fantastic event, and um, uh, by the patronage here, you can see how much shooting's really uh, become much more mainstream in Australia in the last few years. Yeah, how is it important to get these young fellas into the uh, sport for our future? Absolutely, mate, absolutely. Young ones, uh, the wives, girlfriends, um, you know, f- uh, other friends. The shooting really is a fantastic sport that, that people of all ages and can uh, enjoy together and can compete uh, even on an equal playing field. Yeah, Carl, just politically, mate, uh, look, I've been a massive supporter of the SFP for, uh, for over a decade now and just wanted to know for, for all the listeners out there, what are, you, what are your plans in the, for the future? What, what sort of things are you guys planning to tackle? What can the voters expect from you guys? Yeah, thanks, mate. Good question. Um, look, Shooters and Fishers Party have been around for a long, long time, as you know, started by John, John Tingle many years ago, and we're the only single firearms party to be elected in any government anywhere in the world. We've done very well in New South Wales. Uh, we ha- currently have two upper house members in New South Wales, and we have another one over in Western Australia, and the party's growing and becoming stronger and stronger. We've got a great track record fighting for shooters' rights, and we're going to continue to do that. Um, shooting and hunting, fantastic, safe, outdoor um, pastimes. We've got some 
um, valuable contributions to help the Australian environment as well and we're just going to keep chipping away at some of the stupid bureaucracy surrounding uh, sp- shooting and hunting sports uh, and fishing as well. Um, you know, we've got a good representation of fishers now as well. Just keep going, mate, so make sure that we and our future generations can enjoy what we do today. Excellent, Carl. Thanks very much for your time. Thanks for your time, guys. Enjoy the show. All right, we're just here with Dave Fenn from Aussie Hunting Adventures TV Series. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. Yourself? Not too bad. What can we tell us about the show? I know we did, I did an interview before. What can we expect from the show? When can we expect to see? Uh, we've already seen some stuff on YouTube, so when can we start seeing the good product on TV? Yeah, we're going to be, uh, be out later this year, and uh, we've worked on to get it on a major network. We've, uh, we've worked quite hard in a long time, and we've put a lot of time and effort into it, and um, finally we're almost there. So, mate, what else? Can we, tell me some of the stuff we're going to see on the show. Where are we going to? Uh, where are we going to see hunting? We're going to see just in Australia. We're we going to see it overseas. What sort of species can we expect to see get hunted on the show? Yeah, well, uh, basically, the series is going to going to cover Australia and a bit of New Zealand as well. We're going to see a lot of deer hunting, uh, buffalo, goats, pigs, with the bow, with the rifles, with the dogs. You name it, we're doing it. We're going to see anything with uh, utilising meats, cooking. What sort of aspects of the show will we look at? Yeah, we've got um, got a few different aspects in there. We've got uh, there's a bit of four-wheel driving, camping. We've got some cooking segments, like you just mentioned. So basically, we're tra- trying to cover all the bases of the whole hunting experience and adventure. How's I mean, mate? I tell you what, you got one of the best Facebook pages with so many people like. With yet one episode to be out, which I think is uh, amazing in itself, right? Do you expect it to grow? Once the first show comes out, do you expect it to grow a lot more? Yeah, once that first show comes out, I won't be surprised if we if we double in size on our Facebook quite quickly. We have put a, a lot of time, a lot of effort, I, I guess a lot of marketing through Facebook, our website and through magazines to, to get it out there and make the public aware of what we're doing. Has there been any glitches with the, the uh, initial uh, TV station that was going to run it? Are you going with someone else or was always planned for this time of the year? Yeah, well, basically we, we started off with the aim of, of running on the community station. Seeing like a few other shows out there have been quite limited by the, the access and um, by the range that these, uh, the community stations um, place. We've gone one step further. We've spent a, a lot more time and I guess a lot more money to uh, get to the point where we can put it on a major network so everyone in Australia gets to watch it. Uh, Dave, obviously there's been a huge response from social media regarding the show. Were you surprised by this and what do you got to say about that? Uh, I'm not, I guess, not surprised. Um, once we started, I guess there were a few hurdles we had to cross, and once we started getting some following and more numbers and greater numbers and more awareness, it, it, um, it, it certainly helps to grow itself as well. What are the other long-term aims of the show? Uh, in terms of, do you plan to change people's minds in terms of uh, making uh, hunting more mainstream, uh, more acceptable? I guess, uh, for lack of a better word, normal as it is to us, in, you know, in the industry and people who hunt, shoot, and fish. Uh, and how do you intend to do that? Yeah, well, everything you just said there is correct. We're on the way to um, to help change in public perception of what people think we do and actually show them what we do when we get out there and we hunt and fish. What's the first episode going to be when it actually comes out? What's the first episode? Uh, first episode, I'll have to keep that a bit hush-hush to myself. We've, um, we've got a few promos out now and there's going to be a, a few more coming in the next few months before the show goes to air and um, it'll give you guys a, a bit of a, a bit of a taste of what's going to come up for season one. Yeah, well we just had the public address is like literally ruining uh, this part of the uh, show right now with Dave Fenn from Aussie Hunting Adventures TV series so uh, Dave, thanks, hopefully uh, we see the show, hopefully it's a major success thank you. No worries mate, thanks for your time Alright, I've got Alex and Amy with us out the front. I've sort of accosted them and pulled them over here. How are you guys? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Good, thanks. What brought you to the shot show today? 
Uh, shooters, man. Just wanted to see what's new, what's around, um, what everyone's got on offer. Following the boyfriend. <laughs> uh, yeah, following the boyfriend. Does your uh, girlfriend here have a problem with hunting, shooting or fishing, or do you do any of those? Which ones do you, do you enjoy? Um, I do all of them, man. I love to hunt, I love to fish. I shoot, have been shooting for a few years now. Um, got her into it, so look, can't be too bad. Yeah, when you found out he hunted, did you did you hunt, shoot or fish, didn't have a licence or just because of the boyfriend? I'd never done anything, but it always had an interest in shooting and pretty much the second we got together, I got my gun licence and started uh, Bentrest Centerfires. Half your luck. Yeah, that's that's really good to hear. Guys, what do you think of all the negative media surrounding, you know, firearms? I'm sure you've heard a lot of stuff in the news. And now you, you guys obviously are into your firearms and all that. You, you, you're well versed with all the safety requirements and so on. I mean, what are your thoughts on the negative media regarding firearms? Uh, to be honest, man, I think people have got to be better informed. Um, a lot of the media attention is directed in the wrong direction, especially considering most of the info is coming from the States, and that's completely different to what we have going on here in Australia. I don't know anyone that um, owns a gun legally that would even think of going and doing anything that's happening in the States. Yeah, that's that's true actually because I mean in Australia we've got eight hundred thousand law-abiding gun owners and you know ninety nine point nine 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 percent of them do the right thing. And uh, now, do, what what are, you, what are your thoughts on the gun laws here? I mean, especially when considering you know you've got countries like New Zealand and Canada who've got quite relaxed gun laws. They've got access to suppressors, uh, low-capacity semi-autos, and, and they don't seem to have a problem with that. Do, do you think a country like Australia, that is a, supposed to be a free country like the rest of the free world, do you think we should have similar gun laws? Look, we've got to get what works in your area. Like, to be honest, I'm happy with the way it is in Australia. Um, if I could get for hunting a semi-automatic, I would love to be able to do that without all the loopholes I've got to jump through and all the other political stuff. But look, if it keeps people safe and makes people think it's safer, well, maybe that's how we've got to keep it going. But look, if it's working in Canada and places like that, it's also a good thing. Do you guys uh, vote for pro-gun parties? I do, definitely. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, what would you? What do you think they've done good, say, over the last, you know, twelve to eighteen months or anything? Are you happy with the performance? What would you like to see be done better? Um, I think they're doing pretty well, to be honest. Um, they're getting a lot more um, people aware of what's going on. They've got to be a little careful with the way they portray themselves. I think I have cringed a couple of times to see them the way they talk to the media at times. But look. They're a, a pro-gun party, so they're going to, you know, have a certain angle on it. Uh, yeah, guys, look, that was a great interview. Thanks very much for your time. No worries. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we're here with Dave Baker. How you doing, mate? Hey, really good, Jason, and really good to see you, and really good job with the podcast, mate. Thanks a lot. We know uh, you were instrumental in uh, d- helping out with the Save Public Land, Save Public Land Hunting Rally here in New South Wales last year, the federal government. Tell us about the uh, new club that's been formed. Um, listen, after we, uh, Mick, um, Zoro and myself sort of uh, set up and planned that rally, we ended up having a lot of conversations after that saying, you know, we're both a bit unhappy with the way things were uh, from hunting clubs. And I'm not saying that hunting clubs are bad in any way, it's just what I find is a lot of hunting clubs are too far away. And looking at the AHN model, uh, the Australian Hunting Network, which is a lot online, we started thinking about that, got the, uh, got the idea together to form originally the Australian Conservation Hunters. But someone actually took that name, so we've had to change it now to Australian Conservation Hunting Council, uh, with a bit of a plan to take on some of these NGOs like uh, Invasive Species Council. Yes, so that's um, sort of what we had in mind. Since then, we've got the association together. We've formed the club. Uh, we've got the Facebook page, the ACN page, but we're just about to sort of start looking at getting membership. Uh, so anyone interested in what we're, you know, we've been involved with, come along, get involved. It's going to be $50 a member for an adult. Uh, we're still working out the 
you know, the other prices for family and all that type of thing. Um, and we're certainly not saying to people don't join other hunting clubs. I think what you've got to do is join lots of hunting clubs. It costs a little bit of money, but it, it gets everyone knowing everyone. Are you going to, is this going to be uh, through the registry so they can give them a genuine reason to get their licence? It certainly is. It's going to take us a couple of weeks. Anyone who's gone through the firearms registry knows it's a big task to get through and it's a costly task to, uh, to get through. So we're going to need members coming on board and helping us out a bit there uh, before we can be a genuine reason. But we're planning to be a genuine reason in roughly about a month. We've already got insurance sorted. So as insured as the SSAA, as uh, every other club, we've already joined uh, the GameCon ourselves to be involved uh, and get to know the other clubs. Yeah, David, uh, apart from uh, the genuine reason aspect of the club, uh, what are your other long-term goals of the club? What do you, what do you mainly aim to achieve? Um, look, it's a bit like AHN. Um, I had a good talk with Carl about that, and we'd like to be a bit of an online club. We're also looking at... Uh, moving up and sort of encouraging people to form branches under us just to, you know, so they can have hunters in their local area. In essence, I think we're trying to look at a, an organisation to get together. We're going to take on some training. I think like every other you know, reasonable hunting club, we're going to try and get people to learn more about butchering, more about hunting, more about you know, the, the things you need to know. One step that we're really interested in taking a bit further on that is we want to try and get in on the national accreditation side of the training uh, to get an RTO. Now, I, I don't know, it's just something I, I believe in. If, if you're going to go and learn how to navigate and a club goes to the effort of doing that, then why don't you come out with national accreditation so you don't have to do it again? If you're going to go and learn you know, to, to shoot or, or, or get qualified off uh, to say you can put a bullet in this little circle at this distance, like the uh, safety firearms, why can't it be a national accreditation? If you're going to go off and learn about, about cutting meat up and stuff, why can't it be part of the national accreditation so that that's one thing we're trying to work out how to take on so if you become a member of us you, you do your courses for your own knowledge nothing more we're hoping to work out national accreditation to the effort that you put into it and as you know mate the dpi are opening up the accreditation for the r license courses to resume again so for so right now the only people that can hunt are current r license holders on public lands is um being, uh, being accredited for our licence training, is that something that you, you guys are looking forward to? Look, very much so, and, and just it's really funny that you brought that up. Uh, last Wednesday was the first uh, licence, what do you call it, where the D- DPI, from all the people who emailed in to sort of say, well, I'm interested, I'm interested, up at Maitland they got roughly 50, 60 people. Um, Marty, my friend here, actually did it. So he's only just got his R licence, he's only just done his test, only just passed. Yep. Uh, and he's waiting for that to come in the mail, anything up to 21 days now. Uh, and uh, looking at the website and the, what the DPI say, they're still saying at some stage clubs will be able to do that. To answer your question, yes, we want to do that, but when's it going to happen? So we're, in, we're in front of the uh, Shooters and Fishers Party booth at the moment. Do you vote for your pro-gun parties? There's only one, one set of people I vote for, and that's SFP. Simple as that. Do you think they'd, um, so they say last you know, year to you know, even five years, you know, do you think they've advocated for shooters flying? What do you think's been positive? And on the other hand, what do you think hasn't been so positive? Um, look, the, obviously the, the not so positive uh, is that I think they underestimated the antis and the NGOs, the NGOs being something like National Parks Association and organisations like that. I think they were underestimated. Uh, and I, I think Robert and uh, you know, Rob Brown and... Rob Borzak have 
both realise that now. So I think we're looking at a bright new future with all that. And look, I've got to say I'm really, really interested in Pete Johnson coming on board and Carl uh, coming on board. And hopefully, you know, with enough people backing them, uh, we can get a few more people up. And I think that's what it's about. I mean, I know we've had the David Lelliams, if I've said his name right, um, from the LDP. And, and look, I've been reading some of the stuff David's done, and he's, I think he's certainly kicking the right ballpark. But I can't help but think, you know, we, we either all get behind one set and get the numbers up, or we start voting for lots of different people. And, you know, I've met Rob, I've, I've met the SFP people, I think they're good people. We can't all get it right all the time. I know I certainly don't. So. Curveball. Firearms to use as self-defence in the home, yes or no? To me, yes. Uh, however, take, take into account, looking at what did come through uh, from SFP not so long ago, I think it was two years ago, in the circumstances of using minimal possible force in defence, which you are allowed to do in this country, uh, if a firearm is considered minimal possible force, i.e. the other person has a gun, or is attacking you with a knife, you can legally use a firearm at this point in time. As a genuine reason, well, yes, I, I think it should be amongst others, but, yeah, uh, it, it's a hard one, isn't it? What sort of major policy do you would you like to see shooters and fishers push forward uh, should we get a third representative elected in the New South Wales Upper House? What are the, what are the really big ticket items for you? Oh, I'm going to take a, a bit to think on that one because there's, there's, there's a few things. Look, personally, I would like to see... Uh, People being able to use, uh, and I'll, I'll try and qualify this, uh, semi-automatics more easily because you, as it stands, you can use a semi-automatic if you're a professional, and by being a professional that means three contracts, uh, you can then put in for that particular part of the licence. I, I just personally think we're, we're not unresponsible. Uh, I, I think it's gone overboard. Uh, I've used a semi myself. I, I was taught in the military. Uh, to use the SLR that the National Parks use in their helicopters. Why the hell aren't I allowed to use a rifle I was taught to use by the Australian government? Uh, so you think that uh, we should be pushing a little bit more to have laws like New Zealand and like Canada? Uh, yeah. yeah, let's tear up you know, this over, overbearing registry. Simple as that, I- as far as that goes. I-, I think it's a lot of money being wasted. Uh, I'm going to probably upset you guys with this a little bit. I, I'm not against safes in house uh, houses. I'm, I'm not against having a genuine reason to shoot. I, I'm not against people being you know, having checks. But let's get rid of this bullshit red tape. Let, let's rip up this regulation. I, I've proven I'm good enough to be able to buy a firearm. Why do I have to keep asking and asking and asking just to get another one? All right, Dave, thanks for your time, mate. Appreciate it. No problems, Jace. Keep up the absolutely great work. I love your Facebook page, Mario. <laughs> All right, we're just here with Mike and Adam from uh, Action Paintball. How are you doing? Good, how are you? Yeah, great, thank you. All right, tell us about Action Paintball. What can we expect? I mean, I've been there many years ago. I don't know how long you owned it for, Mike, but I was out there many years ago. Probably what? Oh, it's got to be probably, I don't know, when I was probably 22. was around now. I'm 33 now, 10 years ago. Oh, the technology's changed a hell of a lot since then. <laughs> How so? How has the technology changed? Well, as the sport's evolved, the actual capabilities of the, the paintball guns, the, the, the quality of the equipment, the accuracy and quality of the ammunition of the paintballs themselves, plus all the accessories from uh, the goggles through to the clothing, all being specifically designed and have evolved for paintball. So, you know, the, the gear is all now real cutting edge. 
paintball more popular, more popular now, would you say, than it was, say, 10 years ago? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, there's more people got licences now. Again, I think because the, the equipment is better, it's attracting more people on, on, on a regular basis, you know, compared to when you played last time, all those years ago. Um, you know, having malfunctions and mass fogging and guns not working and paint breaking in the barrel, that sort of stuff. You know, a lot of that stuff's uh, pretty rare now by comparison. Dad said, I used to hate when we used to get the mask fogging. I'm getting shot in the face through the mask. It's going into my mouth and I can't see. And I'm like, ah, it's hot. And I can't. How did you get, uh, how did Adam, how did you start working for Action Paintball? Uh, well, I came over about seven years ago from uh, Canada. I was playing professionally in Canada and in the U.S. And uh, yeah, I hooked up with Mike on a little working holiday uh, visa and uh, went back to Canada and met up with Mike about a year later. And uh, I guess the rest is history, so... Tell us about, I know they're looking at, with paintball guns, looking about different type of licensing. I mean, I think it's ridiculous that you've even got to have a license for a paintball marker. I mean, totally, totally absurd. Would you, be, would you want to get rid of that altogether? What would you want to see happen, say, regards to laws and regards to these paintball markers? Well, look, for years we've been trying to get the uh, paintball guns taken off the prohibited weapons registry. You know, to call a paintball gun a prohibited weapon like a flamethrower or a machine gun is, is just so stupid. Um, and the sad thing is uh, most people in government don't even know why it is a proven weapon and that it, you know, how, it, how it all happened in the first place. But, yeah, we've been trying to get them so they have their own category, Category P, you know, for paintball gun because, you know, they, they are, in essence, uh, completely different to all real firearms because they're designed from day one to be non-lethal, to not cause injury, um, you know, no matter how times you, sh- you shoot someone with it, as opposed to, obviously, with real firearms uh, having more lethal results. Excuse my ignorance on this one, but a uh, paintball marker barrel, smooth bore or rifled? Yeah, it's a smooth bore with porting on it, so it uh, essentially just floats the paintball out there like a shot put to make it more accurate. Uh, Michael, you, you were talking about before uh, having a paintball gun as a category P. Uh, wouldn't it be more advantageous to not have it under any category whatsoever? I mean, shouldn't I be allowed to just buy a paintball gun just because I've got a firearms licence and I already have a licence to possess more dangerous weapons? Well, that's the whole thing. Uh, we, we believe that a paintball gun should be completely separate to real firearms. Um, uh, and, I, and I look, the industry as a whole is pretty responsible. We, we don't have an issue with the firearms, the paintball guns themselves being uh, licensed and having proper storage and having it that they're only allowed to be used at an approved range. But yeah, I agree. You know, if you're if you've got a firearms licence and you can own category A, B or H guns, it does seem kind of silly that you've got to go through all new hoops just to get a paintball gun. And I mean, even with that, with the storage, you know, currently paintball gun storage is category two, the same as a handgun. So if, you have, if you're a, a licensed shooter and you have a gun chest with 10 rifles in it and you go through the hoops to get your paintball gun licence, you buy a paintball gun, you can't store it with your rifles, you've got to get a pistol safe. And I mean, you know... That beggar's belief. Uh, yeah, Michael, absolutely. You're 100% correct. But what I wanted to ask you, wouldn't it be more advantageous from your point of view to uh, examine the facts here? Now, I mean, no one needs a licence to buy a knife, and you can kill someone with a knife. I mean, no one needs a licence to buy a compound bow. I mean, they're way, these are things that are way more dangerous than a paintball gun. Isn't it advantageous for you guys to, to pose for no restrictions whatsoever? And if you want to have any restrictions at all, wouldn't it be just only uh, sufficient enough just for someone to have a Category A firearms licence? In saying that, though, would it be, can these be adapted to uh, or shoot some other type of round, or is that what they're worried about, etc.? You know, if it's a, you know, 7 8 paintball gun, can they, you get my drift? 
Yeah, no, look, uh, to answer the question, yeah, in a perfect world, we should be like the rest of the world in the sense that there is no licence, there is no proper storage, you know, um, and, you know, they can be used on a private property. I mean, you know, you can shoot a real gun on 50 acres, I mean, but you can't shoot a paintball gun. So, yeah, we agree, but the reality is I, I think in the, the current situation I can't see government fully giving up all control of uh, possession and licensing of a firearm such as a paintball gun. What sort of games they play? What sort of, tell us a bit more about paintball. What sort of uh, types of games they play up there? Is it all different? Uh, yeah, there's tons of different styles. There's uh, tournament paintball where you're running and diving and shooting five on five. There's scenario paintball where if this and this these these two types are for the people that decide to take it to the next level. Where scenario paintball is where you've got missions, you've got two large armies battling it out against each other, smoke, pyrotechnics, and it's a just a, a real awesome day of fun. But if you were to just play paintball socially, there's tons of different games you can play as well. You've got ones where you got to capture the flag, ones where you have to storm a fortress, capture someone, get a downed pilot. All of these sort of games make it really fun for people to come out and play paintball uh, on a regular basis. But if you want to take it to the next level, you've got those options, tournaments, or they call it scenario. Let's say uh, we know airsoft in most countries is considered a game, right? It's a toy in some other countries. Yet Australia, it's banned, like, totally. Would you guys gear... Let's say airsoft was made legal tomorrow. Would you guys gear up for that? Would you sort of put paintball on the back burner? Do you reckon airsoft would take over? Good question. Um, look, I don't, I don't think airsoft would take over. They, they have two separate markets everywhere else in the world, as you say. Where they're legal everywhere else in the world. Both have their own certain appeal to, to different markets, um, I think paintball would still definitely have the majority of, of the market because visually it's much better as a sport. The bigger paintball's doing, you know, the big splats, etc. So, um, you know, you have a look at all your big competitions around the world. It's all paintball. It's not, there's not like a, a world championship. I mean, this weekend in Chicago is the third PSP uh, event of the, the US League and there's like 250 teams from all over the world playing that event. Um, you don't see anything like that in the airsoft. Yeah, I'd get, I'd be out first day, <laughs> just like straight in the head, straight in the head. Yeah, guys, look, I'm just looking at some of these uh, paintball guns, and they look absolutely fantastic. And I can see one of them has even got an AR-15 style buttstock, which looks really awesome. I mean, it's <laughs> extremely good looking rifles, and I'd, I'd love to own one of these on just on my normal license. But what, in, in regards to airsoft as well, as you know, airsoft are replica firearms. They are very much similar to uh, real, firearm, real firearms in appearance. Uh, and they're non-lethal, of course. I mean, what, what sort of hurdles, what sort of uh, obstacles do you see yourself facing in terms of getting some political movement to, to get these firearms uh, legalised in Australia and to, and to take, get this sport ta- taking off in Australia? Who wants to answer that one? Yeah. yeah. Okay, look, my personal opinion is I think the chances of airsoft ever getting legalised in Australia is zero and none. Um, there's too much of the, the big brother complex in, in government in this country where they want to stop us from having this and having that. And uh, pretty much everyone I talk to in government and police and customs is dead set against airsoft because they have some worry that it's just going to open up a crime spree of armed holdups, people using them for all sorts of crazy... Even though there is no history of this everywhere else in the world where these guns are and paintball guns and airsoft guns are readily available you can't use any sort of logic in these discussions with them they just throw it up that oh it'll be used in an armed hold of someone will put it behind my back in a dark alley and i'll get robbed and crime will increase and you know you're arguing with arguments where there is no actual evidence to back up from their side
watch out for those pellets, eh, and drive-by shootings. I, mean, uh, I know you guys have been um, having SFP out at the paintball field there. Now, have they expressed interest in you know moving stuff forward, not only for paintball, but what about airsoft? Have you guys pushed it with them as well? I know we've said that, but I'm just saying, is it you know has there been any talks amongst that, or just mainly just paintball and going forward from there? Our discussions with uh, the, sh- the Shooters and Fishers party has been pretty much all about paintball you know we're while you know i think airsoft is awesome and really cool and i've done it overseas many times and really enjoyed it um you know for us it's all about trying to get our you know the thing that pays our wages sorted once and for all you know we've i've been in this industry for over 20 years and you know we've had to fight for our very existence from day one i mean originally it was illegal uh in new south wales and you know it took several years to finally get them to see the light that there was no no harm to be done by it this industry itself has been very much self-regulatory. There's been no real issues. You don't have situations of drive-bys, any sort of armed crime with a paintball gun. And, uh, you know, it's been a very responsible industry. So we just want to keep trying to work through to get our laws because we've still got so much to fix with paintball in this, in this state. All right. What about um, someone wants to get involved in paintball? What are they looking at price-wise? Can they get in a team? Obviously, we just spoke about licenses. Do they need a license, Adam? Uh, yeah, well, if you want to get involved uh, in paintball on a more serious level, you are going to want to get a paintball permit. That costs about $75 for five years. And then you get, uh, you'd get you have to get your Category 2 safe as well. That's about 150 bucks of Bunnings sort of thing. And then you're going. You can get your gear and uh, start playing, whether it's the tournament or the scenario stuff. What about one of these little flashy? I'm looking at one of these, uh, what is it, Spire? Uh, 260. This, geez, this nice colour there. What about that? Is that is how's technology come along? Say in the last years, as uh, Mike was just saying, how how far has it come in the last ten years? All right. Well, nowadays the the top end guns really are crazy. Okay, they are super lightweight. They're air efficient, very accurate, electronic inside with a brake beam eye system that makes sure the paintball is perfectly seated in the breech before it fires. They run compressed air out of a carbon fiber air tank that runs 4,500 psi. They're just extremely high-performance machines now, and they are tons of fun. Yeah, I know. I still remember that. I got shot in the... <laughs> I never forget I got shot in the... It was actually at Action Paintball, was it? No, too. no one ever gets shot at Action Paintball. Yeah, you know what I mean? I just I remember that. I was like, pugh, pugh, spitting out paint. But, uh, is that, hey, Adam, is that your pink one over there in the far left? Yeah, that's mine. <laughs> I, I Pink pink or nothing, man. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, uh, Mike, Adam, thanks for coming on to have a chat with us. We appreciate your time. You've got a good setup going here and uh, future uh, fun and uh, excitement with uh, paintball. So check it out, guys. Action Paintball. Give me the phone numbers and address, uh, Mike. Yeah, sure. It's Action Paintball, 290 Annan Grove Road, uh, Rouse Hill. Phone number is 9679 or actionpaintball.com. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks a lot. All right, here at the SHOT Show 2014, just with here with Robert Borzak. How are you doing, Rob? Good, thanks, Jason. Uh, thanks, for, mate. Tell us about uh, some of the good things that have happened over the last, uh, I guess, 12 months, especially in regards to uh, duck mitigation over the rice. Well, uh, what we've managed to do, despite uh, the, uh, the problems we had with O'Farrell, was that uh, what most people don't realise is that the legislation actually did go through, but it was never changed in the sense of the uh, amendments we put through for duck and quail and also pigeon shooting uh, being now taken over by the DPI have remained in place. And we've incorporated that now into the Act and as what most would understand now, the uh, game unit is now asking for people to update their R licence and G licence details with WIT numbers, for example. What will happen, of course, is that that program, as they employ new staff, because keep in mind the game unit now is employing, uh, in the process of employing another 10 game management type people around the state, 
So things going according to our original plan, it's back on track. I guess later in the year, and I can't quote to you exactly when, that program will begin again. The, du- the ducks and quail is based on a mitigation process as far as the, um, uh, the rice is concerned, but it's not based on mitigation elsewhere in the state, okay? And certainly not mitigation as far as the quail or pigeons are concerned. Absolutely. Um, tell us, obviously, we've got a uh, run coming up with the election in 2015, March. Uh, what can we expect from you? We know you're up for re-election, so what can we expect? There's Pete Johnson also running as well. What can we expect over, say, the next nine months? Well, what you can expect is more, uh, hopefully, delivery of more good news stories for, as far as we're concerned. We're going to continue to work with the uh, government as far as making sure that they deliver on the promises that O'Farrell had made to us. Uh, and they, at least at this stage, they're indicating they will. Uh, but we'll believe it when we see it. You know, we're not in the business of accepting promises. We're in the business of looking at uh, action and then deciding what our reaction to that's going to be. Uh, one of the most recent ones was, uh, and we publicised that last week, was the uh, rollout of $7.7 million again for the uh, hilltop range down the Southern Highlands. That should hopefully take that program right to the next stage and beyond and hopefully finish it. That's what we're working on. There are issues also around that which most people aren't talking about in relation to a sound attenuation. Shooting ranges in New South Wales are plagued with sound problems. Anyone that's involved in any range anywhere knows that the sound guidelines in New South Wales are not statute law, they're just guidelines run by the Office of uh, Environment and Heritage, unlike, for example, in Victoria. I've put to the uh, Premier, uh, as late as, um, what, two weeks ago, a plan uh, to turn the guidelines now into regulations so that they can't just be arbitrarily interpreted by the courts and by the local council and the local uh, planning authorities the way they are now. So, and I won't go into the gory detail of that with you now, but basically what would happen is that they would be going on a similar basis to Victoria, in which case it'll then just be a very simple situation, measurement, do you comply, yes or no, walk away, no appeal, that's it. Any other good news you can share on any more um, funding for, say, ranges in uh, New South Wales? Yeah, I can. Um, It looks like uh, we're going to make an announcement uh, next week uh, with the new Minister for Sport for uh, another $7 million worth of grants to look into setting up two ranges. I've asked them if they could allocate $3.5 million to the Illawarra and $3.5 million to the Hunter, looking to set up two more new regional uh, shooting complexes. They may be indoor, they may be outdoor, I don't know. They may end up costing more than $3.5 million each. The next step will be that the Minister will announce a program of study to look at the requirements in both those areas and what will happen is the, uh, the Ministerial Advisory Council on shooting complexes will actually conduct the study and that, that committee is made up of Minister, Minister for Sport and Rec, his staff, the Sport and, Rec, Sport and Recreational people, Ministry of Police and myself representing the Shooters and Fishers Party. Having done that we will, and made recommendations to the Minister they will then follow through with the implementation of it. I asked this question to Robert Brown. I mean, obviously we've seen you know, Farrell gone for certain dealings. We've seen Steve Dunn as well you know, for, from the Independent Commission Against Corruption, some issues there surrounding that. Uh, we've seen a mixture of um, ministers gone as well, and uh, Robin Parker. So, I mean, could you write this stuff? Are you sort of shocked it's happened? Uh, you know, how do you sort of generally feel about it? I mean, it's totally different than it was, I mean, even six months ago from the, you know, even 12 months ago from, say, the rally um, to where it is right now. Well, yeah, that's, I agree with you. You would never believe that something like that can happen, although we were 
Uh, Brownie wouldn't have said to you, but I would. That we were actually privately predicting that he would be gone by Christmas, so we were a little bit out because there was a lot of confusion in, and there was, I should say, well, Mr uh, O'Farrell had gone into his bunker and he was very worried. Uh, we know, or we believe we were told, or we, sorry, we believe we knew that they were doing the numbers against him and uh, I was told by someone who shall remain nameless, one of their key numbers people, that they reckon they were within two votes of rolling him and they were trying to roll him. Their plan was to roll him before the end of June. So if you ask me, forget about the bottle of wine. That was just, it was a convenient out for him. Uh, he knew he was on his way, so he decided to go on his own terms rather than being rolled. Yeah, Robert, uh, look, we know, we know you guys support shooting, uh, hunting and fishing uh, throughout the state. You're very strong supporters. You, you guys do everything you possibly can for the rangers and also to open up more public lands for hunting. But uh, one of the, some of the questions that we constantly get asked is uh, uh, a lot of the people out there saying, look, uh, enough of the hunting, shooting and, you know, and fishing. What, what are we going to do to get the firearms registered to police off our backs and, uh, and try and get a lot more of these cosmetic firearm parts legal and acceptable throughout the community? You've got, obviously, there are certain guns in New South Wales that are uh, Category B rifles in Victoria and Queensland, but they're not allowed in New South Wales, like the Rossi Circuit Judge, for example. I mean, what are you guys going to do about that and all the, all the people out there that are more interested in firearms-related issues? Look, the only, way, the only way we can address that, and I actually do have a bill on the table that goes back to just after I came into Parliament in early 2011, which addressed a whole lot of, I think it was 36 regulatory issues, and... Uh, when I was negotiating it with the police minister and the police ministry at the time, uh, they were prepared to agree with me on two of those items. So the answer to your question is it gets down to politics and it gets down to being able to influence them through the political activities in the House. Uh, and that means we've got to get them in a position, them being the government, that they are willing then to actually make the changes to the legislation to get it done. The other thing you've got to understand too is once they make the legislative changes, the Commissioner of Police, because you've got a separation of powers, has a lot of discretion not to even do as he's told. That's the other thing, and that's one reason why you get a, we get a lot of problems and a lot of complaints uh, from people who are dealing with the registry. Uh, because the registry has a delegated authority from the Commissioner, and again, the Police Minister can't tell the registry what to do. Now, again, it gets back to the legislation and the regulation. If we can get them to change that in a material way then we can make the sort of changes you're looking for. Uh, well, Robert, I want to throw you a bit of a curveball here. Now, as you know, David Leinhelm has been um, kicking goals throughout the media in regards to shooting and fishing um, issues. And he's been uh, a lot of social media. He's, uh, he's been on 2UE, 2GB. You've got all the major stations and so on. He's written a, a very good article recently for the Financial Review. Mate, uh, what do you have to say about that and, and about his uh, representation in the, in the federal parliament? Look, I think, I think it's important that uh, he's there, I think, uh, but you have to keep in mind that he did get there by accident, OK? But put that aside, the reality is he's there and he's advocating for these sorts of things. We're perfectly prepared to support him in relation to uh, firearms-related issues. I haven't heard or, you know, some of the stuff you're talking about, so I don't want to really comment about that, but I've heard, some, heard him talking about some of the sorting out of firearms-related issues at the federal level. That's one reason why we were running at the federal level, to make, try to extend our influence into the federal parliament because, as we know, that's where a lot of the controls come from. And even though there isn't actually a current National Firearms Agreement, they all hark back to the 1996 one. So all, what we would say is more power to him, OK, uh, as far as it relates to loosening up firearms uh, issues. We'd be more than happy to work with him. We've, we, in fact, we approached him not long after he was elected and said wherever we can possibly help, we will.
that's where we're down to. Well, look, that's very good to hear, and I'm sure a lot of firearm owners out there and freedom lovers would uh, really like to hear that. Mate, in the future, can I expect to be able to buy a paintball gun on my licence? <laughs> that is a curveball. <laughs> I, would, I would hopefully... Um, I'll, look, I'll just cut back to uh, paintball. The recent Deloitte's review of the firearms registry and control of paintball... I don't call them guns, I call them markers, because that's, that's all they are. They're not bloody guns. Uh, and the history, the way it's been explained to me, the way uh, paintball ended up in the firearms registry is an accident of the British law, OK, and precedent set there. What we've been told they are prepared to do, and again, I'll believe it when I see it, is they're going to remove paintball markers from the control of the registry, OK? And they're going to make up a, a separate category, a category, I think they said category P, OK? I, think, I don't think there's a category P at the moment, P for paintball, I guess. Uh, and it will be much more loosely controlled, if you like, and they shouldn't have anywhere near the prohibitions or restrictions that they currently got. You're quite right. How is it that you need to have a special special licence to shoot a paintball when you can own a 50 cal or a 338 or something like that? It, just, it makes no sense. But then again, a lot of the firearms uh, law makes no sense. Yeah, Rob, but I've got this little ban here from the firearms registry. Um, it says, keeping me safe. Can you please explain to me how the firearms registry is keeping me safe? <laughs> uh, that was a good, good, uh, good question, uh, Muzz. I've never seen one of these before. <laughs> how can they keep you safe? If you, what is, you put this on you and all of a sudden you're bulletproof. Is that what it is? Oh, it's hilarious. I'm just looking at it now, keeping me safe. I mean, how, again, and I've asked them this many, many times before. I've written to ministers saying, well, you know, has there been like, you know, they're funny, they did a uh, public benefit analysis for the Game Council, didn't they, to see how good the Game Council was, the money that was being pumped in, yet they've never seemed to have done some sort of public benefit analysis on the firearms registry. Sorry, Muzz. I, I, I think that's the wrong message, and I think that's presumptuous. It's not their job to keep us safe. It's their job to enforce the law. And if, if that's their message, they're keeping us safe, well, then they're overstepping their responsibilities and their duties, and they should not be doing that. That's my view. Robert, do you guys have any plans in the future to abolish the firearms registry? I mean, isn't that what we all want? We want to get the government out of our, out of our uh, pockets, out of our backsides, and you know, out of our sport? Look, I've said that to uh, Jason in the past. Our ultimate aim is to get rid of the firearms registry. There should be no need to register firearms whatsoever. OK, it's as simple as that. All right, I guess, Rob, for the punters out there, we've got what? We've got Mars, but nine months, I think, up until the election. Completely new uh, uh, New South Wales Premier. Why should punters out there vote for SFP in, say, nine months' time? What can they... I know we've obviously spoken about a few things right now, but tell the punters why they should vote SFP and why they should vote for you guys. Well, the SFP is the only party that is dedicated to the responsible representation of shooters and fishers in New South Wales, full stop, and in fact nationally. I mean, you can talk about David Laynham in certain areas, you can agree with him in certain areas, you won't agree with him. But if you really want to have shooting and fishing looked after in this state, there's only one party you can go for, and that's the Shooters and Fishers Party. There is nobody else. Robert Borzak, thanks for your time today. Thank you very much, Jason. Thanks very much, Mario. Cheers. You've just been educated, and this is the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.